Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Hey Vault Dwellers and Wastelanders, this is your host Tom or Robots and I am very excited to bring to you a very special episode this week. Ken from Chatafault76 podcast, uh, the guy who has uh, shouldered the burden, I guess is the best way to say it, for Fallout for Hope, set up an interview with us with Ferret from the Fallout team. And Ferret is in charge of a lot of the world building and stories and lore and, and those things that go on in the world of Fallout 76. But he also worked for um, some of the other studios that worked on the previous games. And he is a wealth of information. We had a wonderful opportunity to interview him live on Twitch. And if you didn't get a chance to see that episode or, or catch the whole thing, then I am super excited to bring to you that interview today. So. Check it out. I hope you guys thoroughly enjoy it. We were able to ask a bunch of questions. We went on a little bit of a tour of Appalachia, and then we were also able to ask some of the questions from the audience. So I think you guys are going to love it. Enjoy the interview and happy holidays. I hope you guys are having a wonderful time of year and stay tuned for next week when we will have our patron episode with all of our wonderful patrons. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. We have uh, a really, 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 really special guest joining us today. And uh, while I'm talking, I need to add in Tom as well, who's here from the Fallout Lorecast. Um, as you I'm can here. See the, Hi, everybody. You can hear Tom. <laughs> oh my God, I'm being attacked by a dog in game. Hang on. Wait, you're playing a game while doing this? Oh, <laughs> well, we're, we're you know we're going through Appalachia here, getting attacked. Oh, okay. by can I, where can I see this? Is that that link you sent me? It is. So, yeah, yep. twitch.tv slash chadfallout76podcast. Okay, we're doing technical support on the fly. This is the essence of live. I love it. We're doing it live. All right. That works. All righty. Well, hello. I'm, I guess, the special guest. Uh, my name is Ferret Bodwin. I was the uh, lead designer on Wastelanders and uh, the lead quest designer on Fallout 76 launch. And yeah, oh, wow. There's the map. Huh. And oh, wow. Yeah, look at that. Stuff's moving around on the screen. Oh, there I am. Yeah, we're doing this live. <laughs> we're resizing. We're doing this live. This is fine. We're resizing you. So um, so thank you so much. Why, why don't we just go ahead and start the conversation while Ken sets everything up. Thank you so much for joining us, Ferret. If you guys um, have listened to some of the other stuff that we've put out in the past, you know that we've talked with Ferret before. But he is uh, very, very kind to come and join us again to talk about some of the stories and some of the things going on 
in Appalachia with Wastelanders and some of the behind the scenes stuff. Ferret, we are super excited to talk to you. Thank you for being here. Oh, I, I, I love uh, being here for such a wonderful cause as well. Like, uh, truly, it has been one of the most terrible, well, one of the most terrible years of my life. And having uh, an opportunity for the community to come together and to try to do something good and noble in the world is is touching. And I'm, I'm just honored to be here. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um, Ken, are you are you pretty good? We're getting close to being finally set up, I think. Almost there. Almost there. Almost there. So why don't we start this off? I know you've got, uh, if you've got some interest, I'm sure you've got tons of stories to tell us. Is there something that like is right at the top of your list? Is there, is there kind of like a, a real banger, <laughs> a real, you know, real exciting thing to tell us about either designing the world and the stories or any of any of that side of things that we don't get a whole lot of insight into well i, I guess maybe the thing i want to start with is like I, I get the honor of speaking with you guys but i represent a massive team um so when i talk about the lore a lot of times this isn't me this is this is a very talented writers or uh other, you know artists you know, uh, other designers just coming up with wonderful stuff and stories and such. Um, I'm involved in that process, obviously, but you know, th th these I, I get to talk about other people's work. If about the only thing I can say definitively, we're talking about Brotherhood of Steel at launch, then I can talk that then I'm then I'm speaking firsthand. Um, but many of the other things, there are people uh, out there that uh, I, 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 I hope you get that they're. And for people who don't know, what, what exactly do you mean by you get to talk firsthand about the Brotherhood? Well, because I actually wrote all the Brotherhood of Steel stuff for launch. So everything to do, you know, with um, with Paladin Tagrity, uh, Tagrity Thunder, uh, all the various quests for that. Those those were things I did while I was the lead quest designer. So those 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 I can those I, I can I can. You know, if you like that, then yay, that's that's me. But if anything else, there are <laughs> talented other people that were responsible. <laughs> yeah. So how big is, I mean, I, I don't know if, if there's things that I'm asking that you can't talk about, then feel free to say, well, we, we don't share that information. But you know what? I mean, you're talking about lots of other people here. How big is the team? How many people are, are writing these stories and, and coming up with this stuff? Oh, man. I mean, that is a tricky loads. Uh, yeah. The, the thing is, is that like, and, and, and not just the, the usual suspects, like I definitely wanted to mention the artists because a lot of times uh, the artists come up with things as well. And there's a ton of environmental storytelling and just other things. And that comes from a variety of disciplines. So everybody is, you know, trying to contribute, uh, contributing to the lore and the game in various ways. So, uh, and designers, I, I I, I, I don't even want to guess how many, but like over the course of it, lots. I think almost everybody had a hand in it at one point or another in, in it on the design team. Wow. Wow. And that's one of the things I love about um, the video the st video game stories. I also love this about role playing and creating your own adventures and these kinds of things is this aspect of cooperative storytelling. The idea that the the way that the things are happening in the world and the way the stories unfold aren't just the um, perspective of a single author creating a thing. They come from many different people, from different perspectives on that lore, from the things that they value more than, say, other people. And 
that's what's wonderful about that is that it matches the way stories in the real world evolve. The the stories of our own lives are are based on the retellings of many different people from many different places contributing to our understanding of that story. And in a, vi a video game, matching reality in that way is actually really, really cool, as opposed to, say, something like a novel. No, totally. I mean, I, for sure, the game is better for having so many voices in the chorus. Um, and it's one of those things that, like, you know, everybody brings their life experience. And this sort of the things where I think things get really exciting is like when you when you're talking about like where where things collide, like uh, you know because we had pre there there were teams that were involved in each of the factions, for example, the responders, the enclave, all that. And the really fun thing is when you dealt with things where things were basically bouncing off of each other. So it's just like okay, hey. Hank Madigan's one of your characters. Awesome. You know what I'd really love? I need someone to be doing something really badass over here. Can I use <laughs> Hank? And then they're uh -huh. like, yeah, use Hank. And then it becomes just further enriching that person's lore and their story. Because one of the fun things, the most fun things about designing 76, at least from a writing perspective, is just trying to create as immersive and believable a world as we could. And, you know, sort of the archaeology and timeline of where you're going through. And it's just like, wow, this character was over here and they did this and they bounced over here and did that. I want to say that there's there's a, maybe a couple of really deep cuts that I don't know if people have figured out. I mean, mind oh. you, it's, it's arcane. It is like, yeah. oh, wow, it turns out that this person, they are the recruit for the Brotherhood of Steel, aren't they? It's like, yes, they oh. are. <laughs> Oh, we'll have to be looking we, for that. I remember, too, you'd mentioned that uh, in a few instances, you'll write the long form of the story, and then you'll yes. playfully, like, trash. You'll throw it out so only you know the answer. Well, the funny thing is, is also just because this is such an ongoing, this is such an ongoing project that deliberate ambiguity is not only helpful uh, for, for possibly making it to where it's, it's fascinating to discover, but also gives us room to, to sort of say, hey, you know what? In my head, you know, let, like, Scribe Grant died, right? Right. You know, but do we see his body? Right. Huh. Do we have I'm proof? Sure. Do, like, he says he's going to die, but, you know, did he? I don't know. Well, you know, we, it, gives, it gives you possibilities, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, in the... In the pre-show, we were talking about the unreliable narrator, and um, this is something I want to bring back up for our audience to, to be able to hear this part of the discussion. The, and I think you and I are on the same page with this. Human beings, by our very nature, are unreliable narrators. And one of the things that um, the community can get hung up on is when they take a specific line as absolute truth and canon. This character said this thing in this holotape at this location in this game. It was Fallout 2, it was Fallout 3, it was whatever. And this is the way things are. And then they hang everything else on that as if it's this solid post that is unmovable. And the nature of humans are that we are fallible, that we are unreliable, that that person may have to their 
to their best, to the best version of themselves, gotten it right, or made an accidental mistake that they were ignorant about, or to their worst self, were absolutely lying. And we, as just somebody who's reading a single document out of context, don't necessarily know that that is truth that we can hang something on. And I know that this is a big part of, of the way you guys uh, write the world and the way that people in the past have written the world when it comes to Fallout. Can you can you explain a little bit more about that? Sure. Like, the thing is, is that, like, what we're trying to do is mimic reality. Or I, I can't speak for everyone. Uh, I know when I write, I, I'm often trying to make it as believable, as immersive as possible, which means that... If everybody was accurate, do you know how unrealistic that would be? It's like, no, everybody yeah. has a point of view. People have agendas. People make mistakes. I've had opportunities to be interviewed and many times over my, my career, and it is rare, very rare, that an article is 100% right, and they were recording it, and they were mm -hmm. talking with me. And it's just like there's always just human error seeps in. That's That's just the way we work. And so it's tough because there have been times where literally I have written something where it's like, okay, to me, it's pretty clear. This guy is just wrong. You know, he's, he's yeah. off. There's other people that are saying the, what I think is probably more correct. And yet people will get like, oh, you're just being inconsistent, sloppy writing. It's like, no, that was not sloppy writing. That was very intentional. I mean, to be clear, we are all, we, the developers, are also human, and we do make mistakes, and sometimes, oops, that was not the intent. But, I mean, right. the thing is, is, I think a lot of times uh, when we go through and, you know, add new lore, it's like, yes, there's going to be some differences. Um, and that's okay uh, to me. Like, we try very, we, we, we very, we have lots of meetings where we talk about specific bits to make sure that the things fit together. Um but you know it, it, at the end of the day it's like it's 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 okay if sometimes a holotape was wrong yeah yeah well let's I, uh go ahead ken yeah let's get our, our tour of appalachia started as well since we're uh, a little late here if you wanted to send me anywhere in the world where would you like to start i think uh one of the places which i love the way it came together and it was such a tour de force of all sorts of people like if you wanted to go someplace where you see virtually every fat faction colliding in dramatic ways, Charleston, Char Charleston capital. Charleston, 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 made in Appalachia. Because Charleston, I mean, like one of the meta things that we were like a meta theme for 76, which I'm, I'm sure people get, is that um, what we wanted to explore is that you have all these factions, right? And nobody is evil. I mean, even Enclave, okay, maybe you can make the case. But even then, if you really think about it from their perspective, ultra patriot, and the types of people that we're dealing with a life or death struggle against China, that, you know, maybe you do need to go to extremes in order to ensure that your country is safe, right? So even they have a perspective. But these factions, you know, there's so many tragedies if they had just worked together. And Charleston is an example mm. where you can see things all pinging-ponging together in just the, the, the sort of tragic way that sometimes humans do. Because in Charleston, 
you have like this was initially when the responders were formed, Charleston being the capital of, of West Virginia made sense that that was where it was going to be, uh, you know, based. And it was actually thriving for a while. It was one of the best because uh, West Virginia was lightly nuked compared to heavily nuked compared to some other places. And so this was a chance for humanity to really, you know, sort of try to have a resurgence to try to come back. The responders were like, you know, kind of almost the, the best hope for the common man in Appalachia. And this was this is where they were based. But as you can see, tragedy. And the, the fun thing about the tragedy here is that it was multiple factions worth of things like the, uh, at the I mean, a if you don't want spoilers, oh, my God, change the channel because we're going to get getting into it. Um, <laughs> But like, you know, at, at the high, at the first level of the onion is that what happened is that uh, Roslyn was captured uh, by the responders and she was the girlfriend of David Thorpe. So like, you know, the, you know, very, very high up raider um, girlfriend got captured and killed in custody. And David Thorpe just went ballistic and he got a nuke and he blew up a dam on Christmas day that just wiped out vast chunks of humanity, which is an untold tragedy. Like, like talk about a, what if, and you know, and, and even then like the Raiders themselves, like if the responders had just helped out a little, maybe it hadn't, it wouldn't have gotten that bad. Right. Right. You know, but they, they went at each other just head on, head on right away. And so here you are and, you know, the flood came and it just wiped it out. The responders sort of clawed together. But a deeper cut of that is actually the person that wound up blowing up the dam. I mean, the Raiders don't normally have that sort of ordinance. Uh, back in the days before the Brotherhood of Steel, um, when they were a bit like Taggarty, like uh, Maxon at one point, was more idealistic more trusting of people. And one of the things which really cemented her on her path is when she realized that you can't trust people and that these people will screw you over because one of their recruits basically left uh, Camp Venture with some stolen ordnance and such. And I guess here's, I'm pretty sure it's in the lore, but that's the thing that blew up the dam. Oh. And Haggerty knew mm. that. That was one of the, the questions that people had because they were wondering, one of the questions um, actually from Reddit, um, they were wondering because our, our fat man <laughs> weapons uh, <laughs> can't do anywhere near that level of damage. Cause this is this, even uh, if you, even a, a weakened dam, if, if you hit it in the right spot, but this is like severe, like that oh, yeah. dam is like wrecked. Yeah. And I love that you can see it like it, on yeah. the screen right now. This is this is the dam and this is the results of that incident right there in the world. Yeah. Night Redcliffe, I that's the, yeah, that was I think that was your question. Night Redcliffe. I, I love it because all of this is, you know, so many people coming together and so many different, you know, stories all culminate in Charleston. And it becomes this pivotal kind of. Uh, a pivotal moment where the sort of die is cast and things are going to be really, really tough in the Appalachia. 
there's a chance even then that they could have, you know, this wasn't the end, but like, if you're talking about the fall of Appalachia, this is one of, you, you can make the case that this is it. You know, the Christmas Day, Day tragedy, that, that, that is where Appalachia was not going to be a happy ending story. Even when you think about mm. the psychological toll of that, for everyone to get together, um, for the most part, the region is stabilized. They have a power base. You know, people are living. Uh, and then, you know, deciding to get together for the holidays and then just complete death and destruction on a ridiculous scale. Um, talk about defeat just through the loss of hope alone is, is brutal. I, I think the psyche, the psyche, well, because like, the the East Coast chapter of the Brotherhood would never be the same uh, afterwards. That you know, this this was a very big deal. That humans did this to each other, and these are the people that Elder Maxon is telling us that we should trust. And then Taggarty is like, <laughs> trust who? For real? You want to trust these yahoos? Because they are murderous. Like, you do not understand these raiders up over in the Savage Divide. They, there is no way in hell I would trust them. Um, and, you know, it, it, so I think the tragedy is if people, because when an existential come, uh, existential threat comes, if you can't put, you know, put all those differences aside and work together, then things are dark. And, and I mean, the funny thing is, is, reality is stranger than fiction these days like you could say the same no matter what you believe that if we could come together better that 2020 would be much better if we all just somehow could find common ground right right and yet just like yeah. the game it's just like sometimes that is so much easier said than done because you get like blood upon blood upon blood and at some point like it's it's human that it's hopeless to think that these people would actually rise above it. Right, right. And that's something we learn from history. It's it's way more common for humans to come to odds with each other among different groups than it is to work together. And in the few times that it does come out that things work together, those are times where it's notable. And those are times where it's usually a great leader with an amazing community that works very hard and sacrifices a lot in order for that to actually work out. And those are very interesting stories. I, I agree. Uh, like for, for me, like I've been uh, in recent decades, I don't know, a long time, been reading more and more of history. And like the, the it is fascinating just like like how a great civilization comes to be. And then what are the things that make it go away? Right. Like what? Are, and, yeah. and, and then Fallout, you could absolutely really ruminate upon like, OK, so if you're talking about the fall of the Roman Empire, OK, what is the fall of you know pre-war U.S. like what 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 were the fault lines? What were the real problems? And I think that we that's something we explored with Appalachia, not not necessarily in the bigger thing, but we tried to look at it regionally and we tried to say, okay, what why was this not working? And you know trying to sort of expand upon, um, you know these are this is reality. Then there's the divergence, and then we wind up in fallout, you know, pre-war times. Okay, so how did how did things evolve, and then how did how how is it that people just couldn't like, hey, you one percent, could you just give your miners just a teeny <laughs> teeny bit of your money, and then maybe untold tragedy, 
would be averted. But then you yeah. read their perspectives and they're just like, they're so myopic. They're focused on, okay, no, we're dealing with these corporations, these other things. And occasionally right. you get some good people in there saying like, listen, you know, if I do that, the competitors are going to be an advantage. And then we're all out of business. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. A, a rock in a hard place and another hard place and another rock. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. It's funny you talk yeah. about um, pre-war and, and kind of the seeds that were sown. I'm, I'm standing in Senator Blackwell's office now, which becomes kind of a nexus point where you first get that first little taste of the enclave. Um, and it's interesting <laughs> how he, he got caught up in all of that. Mm -hmm. it, a great story that hasn't been told is the formation of the enclave pre-war. Like, did that start as an underground kind of political movement. Like, uh, I think that that's kind of a, a fun <laughs> sandbox. And what can you tell? What can you tell us about that? Because I'm sure that's shrouded in mystery for a reason. It's super interesting. Uh, I, 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 I will talk. There are things I will talk about the things I won't. I'm not going to touch that one. <laughs> uh, but like, I will say that it was really fascinating for, on the enclave side to sort of explore like, okay, because to me, like for the enclave story is basically like you have the shadow government and what happens when communication breaks down. And also like, these are very powerful people. We're captains of industry, major political figures. And, you know, Blackwell, you know, kind of, you know, he was a Senator, but he was actually not, he was not in on their, in, in on their game. In fact, he was part of the secessionist movement with the, the free States. And so he was a pariah, you know, the biggest pariah there was. And yet, you know, he would have gone to the Enclave bunker, which would have been very interesting. He probably would have died, it'd be my guess. I mean, that's just speculation. <laughs> you, you know? Do you think they wouldn't have let him in? You think they would have? Or? I think Eckhart would have totally killed him. <laughs> made it there. Uh, yeah. were part of uh, survive very long. So I, I doubt he would have been an exception. Yeah. But it, what's fun about the Enclave is just sort of exploring like, okay, what are the different sort of ultra patriotic sort of views that people could have? And, you know, as soon as you're sort of all stuck in a bunker together, it's just going to, I think it's very natural that it's going to get very dark fast because these are extremists and they are now all trapped with themselves. Um, which is almost <laughs> hell if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, well I, to your point, um, extremism only works when you have somebody who is outside of the in-group with which to direct your your anger and your focus and your blame. And when you no longer have that, <laughs> then that, yeah, that's a recipe for... Uh, I don't know, conflict at least. It becomes also oh, no, totally. you, you build your your power around. Your power is attained through through that constant um, misdirection or you you constantly have to yeah. have that that shadowy enemy. Um, and one of the greatest yeah. villains, I was talking to Ferret about this when we we first talked about doing this. One of the greatest villains that we never ever meet is is President Eckhart who goes from, you know, secretary of agriculture to all pretty much all of the destruction, everything that went wrong in Appalachia, the nightmare uh, of, of scorched beasts and plague and 
uh, all mm. of this stuff, the the stupid uh, <laughs> the uh, liberators, everything came down to him and his fanatical desire to destroy China at any means necessary to the point that he was yeah. blind to everything else. That's crazy. But the thing is, is that it's what I love about Eckhart is he does sound like that sounds terrible, vile, horrible. But in his own head, to me, I think he's like, if we don't do it, they will do it to us. Right. Like, you know, because he, he knows that there's got to be his mirror image over in China, if not far worse. So it's kind of like, you know. Are you willing to gamble that they are going to be better than we are? Because I tell, I'm telling you, we're not. Like, we we are willing to go to the mattresses on this, and you know, I will do whatever it takes in order to protect America. If even if that means I might have to destroy some of America, I'm willing to make that 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 sacrifice. Um, so it's 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 a very intriguing. You know, I I, I think clearly he's a villain, but I think. The best villains have a perspective like they're not, no one. Very few people are a villain in their own head. They have a, they right. have they feel justified. Yeah. And I think you could build his case to where it's just like the only thing is he was apparently wrong. Right. Because the America didn't at least up until, you know, fallout four times hasn't received that sort of second wave of stuff from China. Right. So he was wrong, but he could have been right. And if so, he would be the greatest American hero ever, right? If Nick yeah. and you is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> well, I think I think you're you're uh, tapping into uh, just one of the core natures of human psychology is that we all make assumptions that everyone else operates on the same structures that we do mentally. So if you are somebody who is willing to go to extremes, somebody who's willing to lie, somebody who's willing to cheat and steal in order to win, then you're going to assume that everybody else does too. And so, well, therefore, that is the foundation of the way the, the rules of the game are played. And, and also, if you if you take in the extreme xenophobia of a lot of people pre-war towards China, they, they, they're not even only going to assume that people are as bad as them. They're going to assume the Chinese are far worse. Mm -hmm. um, so it's even scarier because it's like, hey, these are the things we're prepared to do, but we're not communists. So, you know, what would the commies do? It'd be even worse. But, you know, right. it's kind of, you know, if you stare into the abyss too long, the abyss stares back type of situations, right? To where, you know, Eckhart pursuing this became, you know, probably the worst villain, uh, you know, for his time period. Um, Is, and, uh, and you may not be able to even answer this question, but I couldn't find anything. And I've always been curious the Enclave Bunker was always designed to be the main hub, the central hub of the Enclave, where the president should have been brought, uh, but for reasons beyond understanding, wasn't. Um, so you got Eckhart in there, who and the Enclave kind of come in and take it over. Um, its connections to the oil rig had been terminated. So I've always been curious if if that was Eckhart's power play, like if this was always his idea to kind of get in there and then just kind of seize control, or if there was something else going on to sever that communication. Um, there are stories in there and they have not been told fully. So I'm not going to, I will say that like, 
it's one of those the, the the funny thing is it's a story that may never get told which to me is both wonderful and sad at the same time that there are <laughs> there are mysteries like i could answer that but you know that that is something that may have its moment to shine at some point What's however that? you are quite correct that how how and why the connection between uh, White Springs got connected with Raven Rock and uh, the, the Poseidon uh, oil, oil platform. That just doesn't normally happen. That is something that they would have tried very hard not to do. So it happens. So it is indeed a fantastic question. Why? Who? For what purpose? So... Uh, Good questions. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> the, um, if if anyone ever stumbles on it, someone in, on YouTube took the time to reassemble a lot of the damaged uh, holotapes, uh, security recordings, and you can listen to the whole drama unfold in there in chronological order. And it's incredibly amazing storytelling um, to see how everything that went down in here that you never get to see. Um, but it's interesting. Lost Threads too. The uh, there was a whole pvp scripted um event or quest that was around becoming president that we never got a chance to see um do you think that'll ever make its 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 reappearance maybe uh <laughs> all right so yeah i love that quest oh man i love that quest that the was glorious, sounds amazing but, but the thing is is uh all right some inside baseball i i wanted to bring that quest back badly very badly but it became abundantly clear that that was going to be a pvp tour de force and it was ambitious it was a very ambitious quest and once we started seeing the way people actually played it was clear that that wasn't a very good use of resources yeah because you know i don't think if we said hey there's this elaborate pvp thing Whereas the winner gets to be president, I, I don't think it would be run very much, no matter how cool it was. Um, so, it, it, you know, because Monster Mash, I think, is lots of fun, but it's very yeah. hard to actually yeah. catch somebody that's willing to play Monster Mash with you. Um, and it is, I have never, in hundreds of hours of playing live, ever seen more than one person that I could play against. And it's been a handful of times I was able to even play anyone to, that would do that. So I, I just I, I, I didn't think I, I didn't think that was a good fit anymore. Um, and you can see evidence of it all the place. I mean, uh, one thing that I think that like I like I think always in Fallout, it was very clear that, you know, the developers from early on knew that like, you know, pre-war happened right before a Halloween. Right. So you could see that sort of influence in the lore. The thing that I thought was you know, fun for us is I don't think many people played with the elections as much it being right before the election too. I mean, mind you, it's not a, uh, it's an off year election. Um, but that also allowed us to play with things like, okay, what, what sort of things are on local politics and stuff like that. So you can hear, uh, you know, uh, the governor talking about like, you know, the, 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 the automation bills that they're trying to get through and stuff like that. And I thought that that was a lot of fun because it added another layer of realism uh, to, to the world as well. Yeah. Interesting. Is there, um, Ken, is there another location we want to go to? Yeah. Or do we want to move on to other stuff? 
I have a feeling, and, and I know you, you talked about this the last time we were at QuakeCon. I want to take us to Point Pleasant because Lord knows cryptids are a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. I had passing understanding. Look, I, I would say a better than average understanding of Appalachia before I worked on Fallout 76. Um, but actually <laughs> working on 76 and treating it seriously, I have, I have learned a lot. And I had no idea the regional cryptids that are just so awesome. Like, like I, I think we've told this story before that like when Sheep Squatch was first proposed, I, I was just like, okay, Fallout's <laughs> goofy, but we're not that goofy. And then he linked, uh, it got linked to the wiki page on it. And it was like, glorious. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> we, that's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, I have to be honest about that. I I wasn't familiar with this Sheep Squatch until Fallout 76. And I was like, are they just making up cryptids now? What is this? And then sure enough, uh, you know, of course, I have to look into it for the Fallout Lorecast. And I was like, huh, no, this is a real thing. Like, this is they're still referencing real world stuff. They're not making up weird crap on their own for this one. Yes. Oh, no, the Mothman. I adore the Mothman. Like, like the funny thing is you can never quite tell. Like, sometimes you know that you've got lightning in a bottle, right? Like that you, you can just sort of feel it, that this is going to catch on. And certainly, I knew that the Mothman was cool, and I thought that he'd be well-regarded. But I didn't realize he was going to be quite so... Like, you know, the fact that the Mothman Festival in West Virginia, uh, for, like, at least... I haven't... Man, I need to go there, like, after after you know, pandemic is over. I, I really want to go there and see, because I know that after uh, 76 release, there was a huge influx of people and that they had some like, you know, uh, Fallout 76 type merch and stuff like that. And I thought that was just awesome. You know, that, and, is, oh, that is awesome. On a meta sense, like it was wonderful. I, you know, the funny thing is, is that I was never worried that Appalachians were going to be offended or upset with the way we were treating Appalachia because I, you know, I have seen many movies with it. And I'm like, no, we're not doing anything like that. Like we might occasionally uh, do something which gets people's hackles up a little bit. But in general, we try to be extremely respectful and try to really get to the human drama of this. And the fact that like there's a lot of, you know, Appalachia has some problems as a region these days. And the fact that it is actually indirectly helped at all is so heartwarming because it feels like almost like it's the happy ending that the game never got. That's a, that's so meta. That's so interesting. Now, there that's was really a, cool. over at the White Springs event uh, you know, for the pre-launch. Uh, there was actually some people from like sort of a local, local uh, lore, uh, you know, historical archive type people and stuff and they they were grilling us and at the end it, it felt good at the end he's like all right you, you, it sounds like you guys did a good job <laughs> <laughs> one of the uh one of the questions was about the mothman eggs um if the mothman eggs can can become different types of mothmen because we see different types in the world um i thought that was an interesting question because or if baby Yoda would eat them? Yeah, there's, is that, is that those, one of them? those eggs are like, they're very weird looking. <laughs> they are odd, that is for sure. <laughs> it is one of those that like, I think that uh, 
you know, a lot of times you make things and you have deliberately like questions that are left and you, you deliberately leave them, right? You, especially in a game like this, we want to leave room. So there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff that we could do with the Mothman for sure. Like, I think we already did an, uh, did quite a kind of number of things, but he, he's, he, he's a lot of fun. They're creepy. They're just so creepy. Yeah, there they are. There's the eggs on the screen right now. They look, look like little red cupcakes or something. <laughs> I think they look like cool. little Tonka truck tires. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny because yeah. there's actually this one, um, I think it's one of the vending machines, has two red lights that are positioned like this. Uh-huh. And I was asking the artist that did it, she's like, because I told the artist that did it, the story that, like, I turned the corner, flipped me out, right? Because I was like, oh, Mothman! He's like, oh, it's just a vending machine, it's fine. <laughs> And and then he's like, yep, did that intentionally. He's like, you bad. I thought so. I thought that was a thing. I thought that was a thing because there are definitely places in the world where you turn and look and there are two lights set yep. up in a way where you have to look at, especially when they're in the distance and you have to look at them and go, yep. wait a minute. Okay, no, that's not a Mothman. Yeah. Oh, no, very, very creative people on the project. I mean, the thing is, if you work on something for years, you can have a really good chance to uh, sink your teeth into it, to really play with the ideas and, you know, well, play with the players' expectations too. <laughs> yeah. I'm headed somewhere so, now to, uh, speaking of cryptids, um, so once we had <laughs> Wastelanders, uh, we had this little guy up here that appeared on Seneca Rocks. Uh, yeah. Boy, did that get everybody talking. Which one? It's it's the Thunderbird looking thing pinned oh, up to the rocks. Right. Right there. We're guessing it's the Thunderbird. Right. <laughs> We're right. guessing it's the Thunderbird. Yeah, we don't really know, but yeah, it showed up. <laughs> yes, it did. I can confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> and that is all I'm going to say right now. <laughs> but how uh, how cool does this thing look? Can you imagine fighting that? Much less uh, who pinned that up there. <laughs> Yeah. These are great questions. <laughs> These are great questions. It must have been. I'm guessing it was super mutants. I mean, how else do you climb up on that thing and pin up a giant bird unless you're some sort of giant creature yourself? The funny thing is, is in the Fallout universe, there are so many rationales I can come up with of yeah. why that thing is up there and how that happened. <laughs> yeah. Chat. Uh, yeah. Chat's been super uh, patient here, so I'm going to ask uh, just a few of their questions that they they had for you. They've been hey, chat. Really excited to talk to you. Uh, Let's see, we have. Actually, I've got one. Unless you're, you've got one right now, oh, I was, right. was going to fill the gap. But, yeah. um, well, I, I think this is probably an interesting question. Uh, you know, having worked previously on the other games, is there, is there anything that comes to mind that was revealed in Fallout seventy six that existed and was hinted at in previous games? And we finally got some sort of reveal or at least more information about it that clarified something from the previous games, like knowledge about something that happened with the Brotherhood or the Enclave or the, the, the state of the pre-world world, you know, pre-war world or, or anything like that that you can think of that was like later well, clarified. I actually think that President Eckhart, well, Secretary of Agriculture then, Eckhart, and sort of getting at least some hints of the machinations that were going on with the pre-war government and the FEV. I think it, it I don't know if there was anything truly revolutionary that was exposed, but mm-hmm. I think it, it, it painted a lot more details about like, okay, who were some of the principals? 
what was going on. It also helped explain to some degree, like, okay, why are there um, more like super mutants over here as well? Um, and I also think that like the, you know, it, 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 I think it helps explain why you might see super mutants in, in any number of places because it was, you know, there were layers of layers of things that were going on pre-war. Um, yeah. I think one of the fun, most fun things for me uh, was that, it, and it was, it was a bit intimidating reading uh, before we launched about many, the many articles about like the Brotherhood of Steel, it, you know, being a retcon that they were here and such. Um, what people may not know is that I was actually going to be doing uh, over at uh, Black Isle. I was going to be doing the Brotherhood of Steel there on the Fallout Three that never shipped. That was mm-hmm. that was my, my faction, and yeah. so I was very very up on the lore of that, and you know talked with the people who created the original Fallout's on that. And so to me, I knew that this could be rec- like we could do this, and in a way that I think would be hopefully add value not only to our game but hopefully like make it feel like wow there's a richer history going on here um like i've always been fascinated with maxon as a historical figure in fact uh, the i was planning on doing a maxon's bunker uh there and so to me it was just it was bliss to be able to have the opportunity to, to 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 do this and so just being able to sort of give you know because you know, sort of exploring the apocrypha of the Brotherhood of Steel. Like this, mm-hmm. the, these are some stuff that later on you will not hear these stories. You may be able to figure out many reasons why you would not hear these stories later on. But this is the actual Elder Maxon and what he believed. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Yeah, I find that a lot of people make the assumption that just because this is a new game, that any information that we get in this game was made up now, and that it's all retconning other stuff. But to your point, there's a lot of stuff that already existed underneath the stories of the other games that just didn't come to light yet. And now we're actually getting to see it. Particularly if if that was stuff that you thought about doing before, um, back in you know, the fallout three that didn't ship. I, I, I very much wanted to explore all the number of things. I, I actually think that overall, like, I think I'm a better writer now than I was then. Um, so I think I did it better than I would have at that point in my career. Um, mm-hmm. But to me, I, I think I always wanted to explore it. Like, cause to me, they're such an interesting group. 
um, you know, at parts noble, at parts, you know, like just completely introverted and not caring and just trying to imagine like how you go from the principled uh, letters that you see from Roger Maxson as he's basically seceding from the union to the Brotherhood of Steel is that 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 is a journey. And so to me, it was fun to be able to at least put some a little bit of uh breadcrumbs to where you can see like okay this is how they went from here to there yeah yeah because and, and this again to the point of uh, humans is that we go through these journeys we uh, we don't hold the same opinions all the time uh, our experiences change and sculpt us over time and that's it's that's what makes a character interesting is the character's journey ken i know you were about to ask a question go ahead yeah one of the questions uh that intrepid 359 had um Paladin Swafford buried outside Huntersville. They wanted to know if it was the same Swafford that's mentioned in the Enclave bunker. Do you know? Swafford? Wow. Uh, Swafford. Paladin Swafford. Uh, uh, that that one, um, uh, that's not leaping to mind, which is unusual. I'm usually really on top of that. I think, uh, I, I don't recollect that because uh, Paladin integrity. If it was a knight or something like that, I could see that being some uh, somebody. But uh, you know, I, I think that there was only one paladin. Oh, are you talking about uh, Tex Tex Rogers? Maybe I was because just Tex Rogers is actually one of my favorite. <laughs> like, I, I, I just one day I was just writing and I just had this idea of this one, basically veteran, super badass veteran. That, you know, just imagine like if you were on a routine trip and then the bombs fell, right? And you are a thousand miles away from home. And then just the idea of like trying to get home, right? And eventually uh, Tex gives up, you know, that it's just, it's it's clear that, you know, he's not going to make it. And he, he, he sees these people and he's like, these these people are good. They're trying to do the right thing. I think I found a home, um, but it was this this touching story. Like just trying to like that that was a lot of fun. Also for just the Brotherhood of Steel because they haven't become zealots yet. So, some become zealots very fast. I mean, which I think is very realistic, right? Like if the bombs fall, people will cling to things that give them sanity and hope, or just even a sense of order, right? Because everything else has gone to hell. So, yeah. but I think a lot of people are just like paladin knights for real. And <laughs> right, it's right. Fun to explore that before people are like, because in Fallout Four times it's like, of course, yeah, that's that's just the Brotherhood of Steel. That's just who they are. That's who they've always been. Yeah. 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 Whereas this was an opportunity to explore. It's like how how do you go from a normal, you know, like you know, I, I I'm in the Army Rangers and now I'm a knight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have some um, questions here about like the canonicity of things. So the first one would be nuclear winter. How canon is nuclear winter? Well, well, clearly, like it, it would imply that the world is over. So I, th I think that's us having some fun. Um, so, <laughs> no. I mean, uh, but. You know, that being said, never say never. <laughs> I mean, it, it would be an interesting... I, I can see, we're, we're just one brilliant idea away from a writer to squaring that circle to saying, yeah, no, that happened. That, 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 that was 10 years after Appalachia, 
you know, we tell our stories. This is this is the book. This end. is this is the very end bookend of what happens in Appalachia. This is the way the world burns. I mean, it would be an <laughs> interesting way to to end in the future, uh, seventy six. That everything that we're doing ends up completely devastating the region, and nobody ever talks about Appalachia ever again in the future. Right. We, we destroy everything as players. I, I should say, I should say it's reading through the chat. Nuclear winter, like it's. <laughs> I think that it's it's indeterminate because once we get past a certain point in the future, like we're writing the future of Appalachia, right? So it is clearly not like the next year because we're working on that content now, right? So uh, yeah, but it it, it is. It is fascinating to consider like how the world ends. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. This is 2772. You know, like who, who knows, right? Um another question about canonicity is is about the the items in the the shop, like some of these different skins for some of the power armor and some of the, the there, there's a lot of things that kind of push the boundaries of say believability in some regards. What do you guys, how do you, how do you carry that stuff internally? How do you consider uh, that? I think if you're buying it in the store that you are basically, you're, you're, you're choosing to go outside the game in order to customize your experience. Right. The same way that you would uh, getting a mod that you particularly enjoy. So I tend not to sweat that stuff. And, you know, if people can rationalize it, then fantastic. Or if they just want to say, no, hey, I just got something that makes me look cool. More power to you. Yeah, I think you could even justify it as uh, your character went out of their way to create this thing. Like, sure, you have you have T fifty one power armor, and you wanted it to look like the Enclave, and so you painted an Enclave symbol on it, and and did it up to look like the Enclave. Congratulations, now you've got it. No, totally. I I think that uh, you know just just looking at the enormous creativity. <laughs> Just watching you die. Sorry. Uh, just look, look at the <laughs> uh, creativity of our fans and the sort of stuff that they riff off of. It's just like, sure, like if you if you were really your outfit, people are going to trick it out every which way, right? Right. So sure, right. That makes sense. Yeah. There are um, in a lot of the previous Fallout games, um, there are almost really beautifully designed art deco elements one of the most pervasive of which is these very scary sentinel looking heads that adorned um even back in fallout 3 uh the buildings in the wasteland they're they're kind of oh my there's there's a lot of people in there um where you see these heads everywhere particularly even when we come down in here and we uh we go say hello to the interloper if that's his proper name um, where you have the heads kind of, I think I went past it, um, looking down on this figure, aside from just being an mm -hmm. ornamental thing, um, is there anything to those figures? That you know those, I, I think a lot of times there is a, a tremendous amount of environmental storytelling. You'd almost have to talk to the author about what's going on there. But to me, I, I think especially for 76, Almost everybody, almost everything you've seen are people that have gone through the war. And I think there are people that are going to handle it well. And I think they're or as well as can be expected. And there are people that are <laughs> going to handle it very, very badly. And I think they're probably going to go to some very macabre places. 
and um, like like just just seeing like the, it was wonderful that we were able to get the Mothman cultists, for example, and Wastelanders as you know an example of the things that people will do to just sort of have a shred of a chance of mentally getting through it, right? So yeah. I could absolutely see people doing exactly this, right? Or it could even be a tribute, right? Like, you know, but I think that's one of the beauties is that we, like, just just like for the writers, there's a tremendous number of voices in the choir. On the art side as well, there's, you know, for the environmental art uh, storytelling that is going on with by them and the, the love designers, a tremendous amount of different, yeah, that's just spooky. I love it. Yeah, those faces it's right creepy there. Creepy heads looking down. It's kind of an Art Deco thing. It actually it harkens back to some of the, like the original Fallout One stuff you see in the artwork. Yeah. No, that's just. I mean, they're beautifully terrifying. <laughs> it's got a Cthulhu mythos here. No, yeah, it's good stuff. There's so many. Like, uh, I have gone through. Uh, Fans have outpaced me because there's some fans who put in an, ins an impressive number of hours. Uh, hats off. Um, but for me, I've played this game a ton. And every, despite the fact that I've probably walked every inch of the, the land, there are still secrets. There's still things I uncovered that it was just like, wow, I did not know this was here. Um, especially if it's if it's something to where it doesn't have a direct uh, lore statement, if you know. Like, if, if it's writing, I think I've read almost everything. Um, there's, but if it, if it's environmental, it's like, no, there, there, there's, there's secrets and upon secrets in this game. That's great. That's amazing. I, I, and that's something I loved about the game, even when it launched and it obviously got a lot of, uh, flack for not having characters and traditional storytelling, but the world is so dense with things to uncover, even from the beginning, before we had characters to talk to, to tell us directly about those things. Um, it, I've always enjoyed that about these games. Oh, me too. Like, I think that there's, uh, it's kind of wonderful because one thing that we focus on is we focus on the world, right? Like, I think that's one of the things that uh, Bethesda does very, very well is that we're always thinking about like, okay, let's, let's treat this seriously. Let's think about this. You know, there's, there's a lot of integrity to it and arguments about like, does this make sense? get discussed very seriously, which is wonderful because I think it, it, that's not always the case at some studios, some studios like, and, and I'm not faulting that because just focusing on fun, right. Or just, yeah, just there's, there's a lot things. to focus on. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it, it's, it's not, not all games have to be that way, but as someone that loves storytelling, like world storytelling, the fact that we try to give it a sense of place and yeah. of logic to it. And, you know, I feel if you do it enough and you're if you do the math enough that if people see something that doesn't quite add up, they will start to believe, I, I don't think you're I don't think this is a mistake. I think that this is here for a reason. And then it starts making your brain think about, like, why? Like, you know, Eckhart is terrible in all these places. But in this one note, he says this thing that's kind of nice. Why? You know, yeah. and it's like, no, yeah. you know, stuff like that is is, is real. And yeah, people, people are human. They're complicated, yeah. incredibly complicated. Yeah. Right now yep. on the screen. So, uh, my, yeah, I was going to get to mole miners too. Are you oh, going to ask a question yeah. about this? Yeah. Because <laughs> I dug into this recently. Um, 
the data miners, uh, courtesy of them, I realized <laughs> that the mole miners, it's not just scripted garbage, like a voice actor read scripted lines. So when these things are, are mumbling and yelling, they have actual phrases. And when you read what the phrases are from the script notes, it makes them all the more terrifying and, and kind of sad in a way. <laughs> Uh, because they they demonstrate yeah. um, care for one another when they're wounded or if one of their friends is killed. It makes them so much more complicated when you make the decision to kill these, particularly when you have the treasure hunters who are just kind of going around, you know, picking up some garbage. Maybe they work for Mother Murmurmurg and uh, all of a sudden uh, you come along and you're like, I need a plan, so I'm going to murder you. <laughs> I, I will say that the stuff that it, that we gave to the voice actors so they could say something shouldn't be taken as direct canon. It is, to some respects, that is a logistical thing. That <laughs> they, they, you need to give them direction right. so they say something. Um, right. So uh, I, I wouldn't read too much into that, but uh, oh, but that's too much fun. <laughs> we have to. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> we did a whole episode. Ken joined me for a whole episode of, of of that where we where we got really deep into each of the lines of dialogue and all that stuff. Because we were um, talking to, I, I like, will tell you for a fact that like I was surprised at what data miners could get to, and do not believe everything you see in script notes or other things because a lot of times, or like even like uh, VO direction and stuff like that. A lot of times, what we're trying to do is trying to get a performance. Right. We're trying to help yeah. the actor hit the line. And sometimes it's just easier to just say, hey, it's like this. It isn't literally like this, but that is a shorthand that will get you to the right place. Fast. Yeah. The emotion is more important than the specific information in that line. Okay. Yeah, I, I was in a call yesterday or the day before yesterday with someone and the voice director said something that was just that's that's not the way it works. And so I. <laughs> typed in to the actor and I was like, oh, okay, no, actually there's all this going on and all this. And then at the end, the actor's like, yeah, but you're basically saying it read that the way that guy told me to read it. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so is there, is there anything interesting or that you're able to reveal about the mole miners? I'm sure you guys have considered a lot about their background and how they came to be and who they actually are. And some of those things are, we're able to discover through the game. And we've talked about this, like I mentioned in the, in the episode that Ken joined me. Are, are there any, are there any bits of things that like people just haven't quite caught yet or, you know, just fun little snippets of information that you could share? I think that they're, uh, Mole miners are one of the more iconic things from the game, and I have a feeling at some point it will be explored. But uh, at this point, I you know I, I think I think people it's one of those deliberate things that we've left open. You know, mm -hmm. we have ideas, but there's I, I think eventually what will happen is we'll have the right story, we'll have the right piece of content, and then I can see us going into it, but. The, the the other problem is there's so much right so yeah. and you know there's so many ideas that the the team has and they're so imaginative so we'll see underground but, mole uh, miner city like Blackreach <laughs> that would be amazing that would be amazing um, yeah the, one of the things that I like to do 
uh, and anybody who listens to our shows knows, I, I like to speculate as if I was one of the writers, you know, like, where would I go in this next year of content? And what things would I want to cover? And what things do I need to cover? Because that's what the fan base is really looking for. And what things would, you know, help sell more copies of the game because people really like this thing? And what things are really interesting according to the lore? And that would be really cool to explore. And as somebody who doesn't work in the studio, I could probably list dozens and dozens of things on a big old list that says, like, these are all the things I want to cover. So I, I can't imagine from your perspective just the number of things you guys consider. The funny thing is, is that, like, what I... <laughs> Great loading screen. <laughs> These are completely <laughs> random. I don't know what happened that evening. <laughs> virus, I put it on my computer. He doesn't even remember. He, uh, he passed out drunk. This is fine. <laughs> So, uh, the, the, oh, uh, sorry, I just read some of the things. The script notes are still very indicative of lore. Oh, God, no, please, no, no. Uh, SS2077, absolutely no. Do not consider script notes lore. Because <laughs> we certainly don't. Um, but uh, it's, it's one of those that uh, you want to see what the community says, but also I think as, as, as developers, we also have to basically... We, we there it's it's good to know the things that people are interested in but we have so many ideas uh and a lot of times i think what we're trying to do is find passion right like like I, I, it's it sounds may sound weird but a lot of times i'm not even thinking what will sell i'm not thinking necessarily uh what is going to you know i don't think dollars and cents i think i think a lot of times i think about like hey when i was 16 and just got a, a game like this what would I want to play the most? That's awesome. Yeah. That is really, really cool. I mean, and then it's it's a matter of, and then sometimes there's there's selling people on it, like, which, but that's actually a healthy process where you're trying to talk to the other people and trying to get them excited. And I, I do find that like if you let talented people do things that they're passionate about, you almost always wind up in a good place. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean. That's that's our whole philosophy of our network. That's part of what Ken and I have set up with us and the, our shows and the other podcasts is that like, I mean, just a quick aside, like I'm not we don't create a network like other networks where I take a cut of their income. and I tell them how they run their shows. It's all about letting the creators love what they're doing and do what they believe in so that they create the best things that they can create. Tell the story and, they want to tell tell the stories they want to tell like I, I am not in charge of anybody else on the network I do my shows they do their shows and we all just work together in order to create the best content that we can no I, I, I think, think that philosophy is perfect no and it's it's actually a rare privilege to being given enough latitude like uh, Bethesda is really awesome too it's content people because they let us run free um, I mean, mind you, there's always feedback. There's yours always stuff, but there, I've had more freedom to tell the stories I want to tell and, and hopefully enable the, 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 the team under me to tell the stories that they want to tell as well. So that we wind up with, you know, the, the most memorable experiences. Uh, I, I think you can feel the love. I, I think you can feel that there's no quest. There's no terminal. There's no note that doesn't have at least a little bit of TLC in it. And if, if you let people maintain that passion and you, you don't try to clip their wings or anything like that, you will wind up in a better place for sure. Like, yeah. um, speaking of writing, um, when the time came to sit down and think, okay, um, end of year one, we need to go 
classic fallout. Let's bring in NPCs. Let's tell a big story in Wastelanders. How does that process begin or work? Do you uh, do you get on Todd's yacht and uh, cruise to Bermuda and then <laughs> just have cocktails and and, <laughs> and plan for a few weeks? Uh, you like, end up like that screenshot, and by the end of the night, you've got everything planned out. <laughs> you guys spend a weekend in Vegas and then just kind of like, how does the writing process? You, uh, I wasn't invited. I'm telling. <laughs> no, I I mean I think. Uh, yeah, Todd is instrumental, of course, for the entire studio. And I, it, it, very early on, he had a sort of big picture. And then it was a matter of working with him on, okay, to sort of flesh out, like, this is the broad strokes of it. Mind you, these are things that we've been discussing uh, off and on as possibilities throughout the, the development of 76. What comes after, right? Uh, what are we doing after? And, uh, but... Then it, once we kind of have a general direction, then it was everybody kind of coming together, trying to think about like what what is next. I mean, there's there's funny as some of it's just logistics. Other people were busy doing pieces of content and stuff. So some people were uh, sort of they sort of came in when they were available, and then everybody worked together to come up with the sort of the world state of Wastelanders. What's fun about Wastelanders is that at that point the team that made 76 with everything super fresh in their minds and so many things that they wanted to do and stories they wanted to tell then saying, okay, what happens next? Right. Like, which is just so much fun. Like that you don't get to do that very often as a developer to just say, okay, we are evolving this story. Um, and it's, it's, it was really so much fun to just be able to, to sort of play with it. Like, okay, a year passes. These people come here. What's it going to be like? What are they going to do? Where are they going to settle? Like what, you know, and then we'd almost location scout throughout the world saying, okay, let's look around. And then <laughs> thinking about it like, okay, I'm a raider. I've come in through the north. This is going to be kind of our turf. What are the things that we want to do something with? Right. That's, that's awesome uh, that you guys got in the game to like walk around as if, if you guys were going to buy a house together. You're like, no, <laughs> no that's yeah, awesome. absolutely. But that's that's exactly what the characters in the world would do is they'd scout out areas and then figure out where to settle. That's awesome. I mean, there, there was the one thing that is uh, not quite right is that there's some areas that we nailed so well initially that it's just like, I don't want to touch it. Right. Because it's it's too good an experience as is. But realistically, yeah, somebody would come in here. But you know what? There's so much space and there's so few of them comparatively it's like, mm -hmm. well, that, that that little motel over there would would work perfect. Let's just grab that. If it were me, yeah. I just would have moved into a suite at the White Spring and called it a day. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but people keep nuking it. I mean, yeah. that's terrible, terrible location to live. Everything's fine <laughs> inside. It's fine. Well, the funny thing <laughs> is that we could see very early on that that was a prime nuke site, right? And um, there were things we could have done to to, to disincentivize that. But it was also kind of like, isn't it like if there was one site that was going to be nuked more and more that you get to play a lot in, shouldn't it be the White Spring? I mean, that place is awesome. And the fact that it actually kind of became a player made activity there, I thought was delightful. Oh, I, yeah. I, it, like, it was just such a good use of the space. Year one, Friday, Saturday nights, it would be a bunch of us. We'd all go nuke the White Spring. We'd do the loop through, hit the golf course, try and bag as many legendaries as we could. Uh, of course, you can't grind it like that anymore. It was just a little too good. Um, 
yeah, that was such a fun place to, to nuke. Well, I mean, eventually we did tone it down a little bit because yeah, it, you, there, there's stuff where it can start being breaking it, but oh, we, yeah. when we were nudging it, it, it was meant to be a nudge because I still wanted it to be, I didn't want people to stop. Uh, but I did want it to be like, you're, you're dumb not to do this. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of nukes, uh, Raptor Moses in chat asked a question and just kind of on the scale of how many nukes were launched at Appalachia during the Sino-American War, like, what are we looking at? One, ten, a hundred? Like, what was the scale of what actually landed? I actually think you can find many of the craters if you look hard enough. And that may not be, that may be less of the, a theoretical discussion and more going through and counting and finding them. Just counting them? So, uh, a lot of, mind you, there are some which were pure air bursts. Um, mm-hmm. so you're not going to see a crater for those. Uh, but it was overall pretty light. Um, compared to other places. Yeah. I, I think the players post-launch have nuked Appalachia more. On <laughs> <laughs> multiple orders of magnitude, <laughs> probably. Appalachia's yeah. a tuple bird, though. She heals herself in a few hours. She's fine. <laughs> she comes back. <laughs> or you just go to another server. Um, <laughs> another question that I thought was really interesting, and I'm sure a lot of people are asking, is... Um, how how do you become uh, one of the writers <laughs> how do you how do you get that kind of job how do you end up working uh with you know your team for example God. Uh, uh, what would you give for God. somebody who is interested in in pursuing that path Not you know like, what Bethesda, advice but i think just in general to get started with writing yeah. in the game sure I, I can give some advice to that um uh, I would say these days there, you were fortunate that there are multiple paths. I think back in the day, you sort of had to sort of worm your way into it. Uh, fascinating stories from the old timers of how they made, they sort of weaseled their way into it. Um, but, yeah. uh, I think these days, like, I think, uh, internships, if you can find them, uh, there are not many places to do it, but internships have very high success rates of actually, uh, at least my experience, uh, that people, if you actually intern a place often you're doing the job that you want to do and if you do a good job of that you can sometimes just like I, i've seen interns that have gotten to where they wanted to be years ahead of other people um but it's not for everybody and it is uh that sometimes you'll be might be at a financial disadvantage doing that before you're you're hired um there's some fantastic schools programs for it guild hall full sale you know uh you, you know, you can actually get degrees in this stuff, which wasn't the case back back in the day. So that that's that's very good. Um, another one is uh, if you find that there's something you love, like if there's a particular genre you like or a uh, game company, uh, modding, modding. Uh, yeah. Like I've I've seen some tremendously talented developers come from modding, um, and I think that's actually really like if you work in the tools and you make something and you still want to do it, that is a pretty good indication that you're going to be good for doing it for real. Because I think that mm-hmm. like it sounds idyllic, but it is work. It is definitely work. And it, one of the things that's very tricky, like if you could mod in a team, even so much the better, because the whole learning to do give and take and to collaborate is tricky. Like sometimes I think that, uh, for example, some indies might have a, a more traditionally awesome sort of life, I guess, just because they can tell their story. But if you're a person that likes collaboration, 
Um, like I, I do not think I would make nearly as good stuff if it hadn't run the gauntlet of my peers, because yeah. my peers are able to point out uh, problems, inconsistencies, or just just able to poke like, hey, this needs a little more love. And then if you look at it, you're like, yeah, you're right, it does. But it's 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 tough. Um, it's tough to, to to take the criticism and grow from it. But yeah, every writer needs an editor, right? Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes. Do you uh do you have any favorite mods that you love? Ones that you've been kind of keeping an eye on? I'm just curious. Um there was one mod for New Vegas I really enjoyed the Doctor Who mod. Oh, I never yes. <laughs> followed New Vegas. <laughs> that was just so much TLC and it was dizzying. It was dizzying just seeing all the things that were in there and you know as a doctor as a Whovian, for me it was also just delicious seeing a fan, uh, you know, sort of cross the stream, basically. So that that was delightful. It's impressive now. You see, um, like some of the really ridiculously committed and ambitious stuff, like Fallout Four Capital Wasteland, um, bringing New Vegas into the Fallout Four engine, and the ridiculous amount of work that they're putting into that, including like redoing voice acting just to make it happen, um, is just so ambitious and insane. Uh, but yeah. it's so amazing to see modders go to that level. Oh, totally. No, it's, it's, um, if, if you can start getting down, because sometimes no matter what, like no matter how successful your game is, you can go to a forum and you can find someone that will make your heart sink a little bit. <laughs> sure. what, yeah. To raise your heart and to, to feel like, you know, Hey, what I'm doing matters. Looking at mods, playing mods is a great way of doing it because Clearly, you can see that people love this so much that they put their own t time to, you know, bring some something that they love into a, a setting they love as well, which is just wonderful. Yeah, I think the advice always comes down to going back to the job thing. Do the job before you have the job and prove that you can do the job and that you love the job. And then you're way more likely to get hired to actually do that for somebody else. Uh, one, one last piece of advice, if you're trying to get into the games industry, take any job you can. Like, like, just get your foot in the door. Getting your foot in any door sets you up much better to ultimately being where you want to be. For example, I in my career, I think I have worked in every department. <laughs> yeah, I was production, QA, CS um HR? I, I sort of not really art but but <laughs> i was almost kind of a level artist for a little bit but not really um and design so for me it's just yeah. like I've, I've i've done it but for me qa was the foot in the door and it was night and day like i would send resumes before i had a qa job wouldn't hear anything after hearing it getting a qa job even for things i didn't think i was skilled enough or had the right things at least would get a call sometimes so you just you just need to show that you've been in the industry and you know what's going on yeah yeah that helps hey quick quick uh question i, I don't want to derail things too much um but in your opinion according uh ss asked the question uh is the fallout bible canon um and i know and this is probably a very tricky question i have my own thoughts on this too but um, do I, I, I don't. I, I don't think I can get into in, into that. I will say that, like yeah. we very, we're very. The, the primal source of lore is what you see in the games. 
Right. Everything mm-hmm. after that is varying degrees. I, I, I would say if it, if it's not in the games, then we may use it. We may not. And you may even like. There's things that we may fully like. No, this is what happened. No, it, it, that is just headcanon for a writer. That doesn't actually exist until you see it. So yeah. um, that that that's where I would go from that. So the funny thing is is there are fully there are things I intend that have already uh, been rewritten. Uh, but but that's okay because it's like no that was never in the game. Sure. All right. <laughs> you, you want to change that? That's a great story. Go for it. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a great answer. If it's not in the game, then right. it's not yeah. in the game yet. Yeah, I mean just I mean, flat out. And it may never we be in the game. Inspiration from all sorts of sources, right? So like you know who who's to say like what we'll take and what we won't. So from a yeah. writing from a writing perspective, um, because you have a, a really impressive background as far as games that you've you've worked on contributed to written for um where do you find a lot of the the inspirations for for stories or characters that you come up with um because there are there are a few i think that you just they kind of popped in there or others that you kind of someone has a concept for a character and you kind of flesh it out um or is it a little bit of all of that uh wow uh, that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> showers. <laughs> no, I mean, and it, I almost mean that seriously. Like, I think a lot of times for me is I just think about things and I'm doing something else in the back of my head is just always thinking, pondering, and then just makes connections. For example, the, today there was something I was working on and I just stopped because I'm like, I'm thinking about this too much. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I, I am thinking this to death. Uh, so I need to stop thinking about it. And sure enough, I started doing something. I think it was making peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And then it was like, oh, what if we flip the script and it's this person doing that and this going on. And then suddenly it was like, yeah, all right, now I'm back in business. So for me, I think it is just a, a gestalt, like everything you read, everything you see, every per- people you hang out with, conversations you overhear, well, when we used to be able to go out, um, <laughs> becomes kind of fuel for the my subconscious, I guess. Um, a lot of times, often what I'm thinking, though, is uh, fun, like because uh, stories and characters and stuff like that is 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 there's all sorts of ways that you can tell that. But a lot of times I'm like, okay, but what would be fun to have all these story on too? Because I think, I think it's very easy to get caught up exclusively on the, uh, on the, on the story and your characters. Whereas I try to always think about like, okay, what is the most entertaining way to experience this? What is the, you know, you know, like, I, you know, I, th- I think like uh, what is it? Belly of the Beast or Heart of the Enemy? I always get mixed up. The one where you're basically following Integrity's footsteps to where she's mm-hmm. down the glass cameras and stuff. Beast. I think it's Belly of the Beast. I, I always get those. I, I I named them and I get them mixed up, but it's <laughs> one or the other. Um, and to me, it was like, that's just a fun way to get that story bit by bit through this scary, scary place in a very high level area working with some very talented level designers to try to make it so that it's just spooky and you get this wonderful layered story that eventually you, you kind of get the whole, the whole uh, 
thing. So for me, that was partially like, okay, I know, I know what I want to talk about, but I also want to uh, try to make it engaging to get to it. Um, I, I, this person, they, they keep highlighting it and I promised I would ask, um, what is the official statement on the Fallout 76 player protagonist? Is their name the resident as seen on the Vault 76 ID card in official lore documents or the Vault Dweller as is heard in dialogues? The latter, which is also the name of the Fallout 1 protagonist and generic term for Vault Dwelling Individuals. Uh, I, in my head, um, I don't think we have an official one, uh, 76ers. Uh, so I uh, yeah, it, it's it's kind of uh, there, there's no I, I have a feeling that different members of the team might have different shorthands for it. Uh, there is no uh, there's no one thing which I consider canon. Uh, mm -hmm. So a variety of things. Yeah, uh, I, like I said, I often use 76ers, uh, but like like we also play with it, right? Like uh, like each individual character we look at it from their perspective and what would they call someone that came from vault 76 and you know, some would call them vault dwellers perfectly appropriate 76ers or Hey, 76. Um, yeah. You know, yeah or if they're mad, mad, Hey, douchebag, you know, like, exactly. <laughs> like whatever, whatever they're feeling in the moment. Sure. Is there uh is there another, I'm, I'm back here at, at Fort La Atlas talk about uh, a space that, that got recently so overhauled into I such know. a beautifully cool installation here. Yeah. Um, Every time I see that dome, I think of R2-D2's head. <laughs> I mean, the from this angle. Is, is that there, there are places which we knew for a fact that we needed to do something awesome. And this was one of them that people kept pitching ideas for what to do there. And either there was just never anything that was quite good enough for that location. Same thing with the space station. Like there were a variety of things that were just like, this is just too cool. We wanted to, to do the location justice. And this is an example of like where we, we were like, yes, now we know what to do with it. And, you know, just bringing it, making it so much cooler. Um, so I, I think that there's still some targets of opportunity for us to, you know, areas that are just waiting for the right uh, story to come along. This this installation reminds me so much of of Helios One from Fallout New Vegas, um, where you have this this arcane Great War super weapon, uh, just waiting for somebody to come along and misuse it. Like here, you have a working weather control device. <laughs> so, uh, we may have a problem here. <laughs> oh yeah. No, the funny thing is that there were versions. Uh, never mind. Lots of ideas were thrown <laughs> at certain things. Lots of them. But like I said, it was just all like we, you know, sometimes I think you're worse off doing something half good than just not doing anything at all, right? Like, I think it's better to wait until you have have something to where you're like, yes, this dots the I's, crosses the T, this is ready to see the world. Yeah. Is there a... Anything else, any other places that are really your favorite that you'd like to show off and talk about a little bit? Oh, goodness gracious. Favorites, places. Um, or even a place where, because uh, Lord knows that the year one, we didn't have any NPCs. So you have yes. sprinkled throughout the world these beautiful little hints of stories, things that took place yeah. there. Whether we yeah. have uh, the Mistress of Mystery or... Um, oh, 
God. Even some of this. I think I think there's a lot of these that um, a still a large portion of the community haven't fully picked up on. Yeah. I mean, they may have played through the quests, but they they you know because you weren't being walked through this story in the same way that you would be in a in a traditional Fallout game. They didn't read all the terminals, or they didn't you know look at all the little details, or discover all the little environmental things. And so there's things that are there's there's a lot of holes in a lot of people's knowledge. I'm sure. One thing I love about the mystery, mysteries or mystery specifically, is the fact that it touches upon Kent Connolly. Like Kent Connolly sent Shannon Rivers a fan piece of fan mail, which I think is just delightful that we, you know, had the foresight to do that to sort of all plug it in together. Because Kent Connolly was alive back at this point, which is hilarious. I think he even sent a message to the the, the her husband as well, you know, which I think is you know, a sort of fun way of uh, tying the canon all together in a nice little bow. <laughs> Thank you. I love Kate Connolly too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fire in chat. <laughs> well, I do have to go, but man, I wish you guys the best. And I hope that you hit, it looks like you're going to hit your goal, no problem. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we're at 47,000. Just come on guys just shy. Just 3, more. you can do it <laughs> what I, this is amazing and really uh i don't know if, if he's gonna watch this but I, I can't praise him enough the person who carried us today who everyone should go and thank this person in their stream um it's not here on twitch but many a true nerd on youtube um is just a powerhouse today um the speed run that he's doing there he he blew the doors off fundraising today um, definitely if you, if you're not a fan of his, go check him out on YouTube because what he's doing right now is, is sensational. He's, uh, he's really going to work, uh, and his community is turning out in a big way. I can't believe we're just 3000 shy here of the, of the, of the total, which is just crazy. And today's mm -hmm. only Wednesday. We have more of the week to go. We're only ending Sunday. So, uh, we're really going to make a difference with these kids. Well, I will say that it is, uh, Working on fallouts is a dream come true. Um, and that the fact that the community as is wonderful and as generous as it is, is it, it, it makes humbling. I, I don't know what the right word, but it, it makes me even more honored to be doing what I'm doing. So, uh, I, I hope you enjoy what comes from, uh, 76 and other games that we will be working on. So, <laughs> Ooh, that's exciting. Generously, you know, it's for a wonderful cause. Yeah. Hey, as a kind of a last thing, I know you can't tell us spoilers about what's to come, but how excited are you for this next year of content? Things that we haven't even heard about yet. It is amazing uh, to consider all the things that are, that are coming down the pike and just, you know, I, I, it, it, it's it's wonderful that we've taken something so far and we have plans to take it even further. So, uh, you know, so ho hold on. It's it's going to be a fun ride. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. Well, thank uh, you so much for joining us. Yeah. For, it was this, wonderful. this has been absolutely amazing. And I'm, I'm so glad we got the opportunity to, to, to geek out here for a little bit and talk about lore. And uh, thank you everyone for showed up and, and your really amazing questions. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 